for all of these freshmen, not just you guys, but anybody is, is patient with them. Because, look, Derek and Derek, they miss the most crucial part of any time of the year for freshmen, and that's the preseason. And they miss Derek over a month and Derek almost three months. And so for them, they've been working hard, and it's going to take them some time. And so for Derek, it's only been a few weeks. And I just love the mindset, how he keeps working. I thought the way he fought on defense in the Purdue game, he took a huge step. And then tonight he did the same thing against Key. And then for him, it's just getting comfortable, you know, developing his offensive game. That's new Duke men's basketball coach John Shire talking about some of his younger players after their victory last night over Ohio State. You can text in, share your thoughts on the college basketball last night on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. The conversation did continue during the break about the scariest mascots in all of college athletics. And so I think that's exactly what we should lead off this segment with as Brendan Marks joins us. He covers North Carolina hmm. and Duke basketball for the athletic. Brendan, what is the college athletic uh, or college athletics mascot that scares you the most when you're trying to sleep at night? I, I don't think it's close, and it's one that has sort of haunted my nightmares since I was in college, uh, and it's the Providence Friar. That dude is freakish. He is frightening. Um, no thank you. I want no part of it. No, I, I totally agree. I saw him in the NCAA tournament when it they were playing the first couple of rounds here in Charlotte, and he was walking around. I thought he was scary on television, and he is that much more scary in person. I walked away. I went somewhere different. If I was going to the bathroom and he was there, I didn't have to use the bathroom anymore. That's how scary he was. It's Brendan maybe Marks. Maybe use it on yourself. Yeah, maybe I did. Honestly, I did have to change pants after that. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Uh, Brendan, you are a journalist of the highest integrity. You're a professional, so I'm going to ask you a really thought-out, nuanced question to lead us off here. What the hell am I watching on offense when I watch North Carolina basketball? Yeah, no, that is that is a very nuanced question. Uh, it, it's it's crazy. It's the same question I asked myself. Uh, what I was asking myself for for over the course of three days in Portland. Um, and obviously, yeah, I mean, right now North Carolina's offense is 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 just a disaster. I mean, it's uh, just all over the place right now. They don't have any offensive identity, and you know, I think this is the thing that really sort of dawned on me in Portland, and has only sort of continued. We obviously saw it against Indiana. Um, I was at Duke last night, but but went back and watched the game this morning. And, like, we have talked so much about newness with this team. And Brady Mannix's gone. And Pete Nance is here. And there's freshmen who have come in. And there's more, you know, a bigger role for, for Puff Johnson and DeMarco Dunn. And we talk about all this newness. And the biggest problem with North Carolina right now is the fact that it's, quote, unquote, three best players, Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, and R.J. Davis, guys who, you know, at, at, were as integral as any to North Carolina making the run that it did last spring – they are not playing very well right now. Um, all of them have different issues. All of them have, you know, sort of regressed in key areas. And, you know, as a result, you get this sort of herky-jerk, disjointed offense. I mean, last night against Indiana, um, North Carolina had 12 fewer possessions, didn't even average one point per possession shot, you know, worse than, you know, uh, worse than 28% from three, shot, shot under 37% from two-pointers. I mean, that's... That's unthinkable, especially for a team that's as experienced as this is. So um, there are a lot of different things that are going wrong with North Carolina, but you put them all together and, and you get the product that you're seeing right now. Well, Brendan, another guy that they add to that mix as far as being one of those veteran leaders is Leaky Black. He goes 30 minutes last night, zero points on the night. And we talked about this yesterday. Just how 
Is Carolina just resigned to the fact that they get whatever they get from Leaky and whatever offensive production they get is just a bonus? Because it just blows my mind how a guy can be at a place for so long and just have such a lack of an offensive game. Yeah, I, I think it's um, sort of because of where he plays on the floor. You know, he's he's a natural sort of kick-out corner guy, um, except he, he can't sort of hit those shots. And, you know, I think people, you know, they look at last night and obviously was not his best performance, but uh, on a percentage basis, he's, he's still the guy who has the best three-point percentage on the team this season. You know, he's made seven, and uh, R.J. Davis has taken more than double the number of attempts uh, that Leakey has, and he's only made four more threes. So... You know, last night was obviously a tough showing, but that, that's not his game. You know, I do think the one area where Leakey could be taking uh, or, or making more of an impact that he's not right now is in terms of moving the ball. I mean, for a number of years now, I've had uh, teams who have, you know, come up to me in the preseason and the offseason, and they've said, hey, you know, we think that Leakey Black could potentially be like a point guard at the next level, even though he doesn't shoot, but what he brings as a defender, what he brings as a connector. Um, I've got a pretty good stat here for you guys. So far, through four seasons, Leakey's first four seasons at North Carolina, he never, not in a single season, had an assist rate below 14.2%. Right now, his assist rate, 5.9. Less than half of what his worst uh, assist rate was previously, and that was when he was a sophomore in the 2021 season. So that, I think, is the area where he really needs to step up. He needs to be a connective tissue if he's not going to be the guy putting the ball in the basket. And right now, with him doing neither, uh, you're basically playing four-on-five offense, which is impossible at the level North Carolina needs to win it. It's Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining us here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You know, Brendan, I also look at Armando Baycott, and he's playing really hard, and you talked about some of the issues that even he's experiencing, being one of those big three players for North Carolina. Does he have a full bill of health right now? I know he's been banged up. He was even banged up in the championship game just last year. Where is he at as far as his health percentage right now? Yeah, he's definitely not healthy. Um, I don't, you know, quite frankly, he, he doesn't look like he's really been fully healthy, you know, since the start of the season. And obviously, you know, he and Hubert Davis would not have been, he wouldn't have been out there at all if he wasn't able to go. Um, but there's a difference between, you know, being, being injured and being hurt. And, and you know, especially after uh, the shoulder, it looked like an injury that he suffered against Indiana. Um, he tweaked his ankle uh, against Alabama when they were out in Portland. You know, those are obviously impacting him right now. And the result that you see is a guy who's just really far off of his current rate. He's posting the lowest defensive rebounding rate of his career right now. And um, it's not even really close. He's never been outside of the top 150 nationally, even when he was a freshman. And right now he's he's barely cracking 275. So uh, it just hasn't been there for him. I think some of it is schematic. North Carolina is playing him in less drop coverage, uh, which, you know, naturally is going to pull him a little further away from the basket if they're asking him to switch. And when they do that, they're they're just sort of taking him out of his natural rebounding position. But yeah, at the same time, you got a guy who's got a bum ankle, he's got a bum shoulder, and oh, let's not forget, he's playing eighty percent of the minutes. He's playing more than thirty minutes a game. You know, North Carolina obviously doesn't have a ton of front court depth. It's it's basically just him and Pete Nance at this point until Jalen Washington gets healthy. Uh, but but you can't play a guy who's not fully healthy that much and expect him to be that effective. I mean, something has to give, and so. You know, I don't know if that means you, you shut Armando Baycott down for a game or two and try and let him get healthy. I don't know if you you know try and steal some extra rest time while UNC is taking finals and over the, the holiday break. Um, but clearly he is not 100% right now, and until he gets back to playing at that rate, you know, he, he really is the garbage man for North Carolina and makes the rest of the offense go. Without him, you know, they're, they're not going to be anywhere close to their ceiling. Brendan, we talked about their assist numbers, and last night they had five 
uh, against 10 turnovers and just the guard play, them having three assists between uh, R.J. Davis and uh, Caleb Love. Do you feel like that these guys are just kind of a little bit of the hangover of all of the hype from preseason and coming in just, you know, thinking they're stars when that reputation is not quite earned yet and there's maybe like a sense of entitlement creeping in with this team? I would have said so maybe a little bit earlier in the season, but, like, look, these guys have lost three games now. You know, they don't have a good win on their resume. And, you know, they have let winnable games against Iowa State and Alabama slip away. They got absolutely punk last night. They're lucky that it was only, you know, a 12-point deficit. That that could have been a 20-point loss yesterday. So I don't know that it's entitlement so much as, like, you know, we, we look at the start of last season, and there were similar issues. There were times when the ball got sticky, and – you know, I think Pete Nance is still getting integrated. They're still figuring out how to use him best. Obviously, Armando is not fully healthy. Um, Leaky Black hasn't been sharing and moving the ball, so those guys are. You know, you've seen a, a disproportionate amount of one high ball screen and and pulling the trigger. Um, and that just isn't. You know, at this level, there are very few guys in the country who are good enough to to just be able to consistently win like that, if there are any at all. And um, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis are great players. But, but they are not there right now, and especially for a guy like R.J. Davis who does have some physical limitations, you've got to you know, scheme him up and put him in spots where he can be successful. And right now, that just isn't the case. The ball is sticking. North Carolina has more turnovers than assists on the season. Um, it's just been really bad, selfish ball. And um, you know, Hubert Davis, I think, will correct it. But you know, there, there's got to be some you know, semblance of accountability for these guys or else you know, this could be a problem that lingers, you know, longer than North Carolina and its fans wanted to. Brendan Marks covers North Carolina and Duke basketball for the athletic. Let's switch to some Duke basketball. We did see them contribute to the ACC's overall win over the Big Ten. They beat Ohio State last night, 81 to 72. You heard John Shire just coming into the segment, speaking a little bit about his freshman. He's preaching that patience for the young guys. How long do you think it will take, Brendan, for some of those things to come together for them? And how beneficial is it, the fact that maybe they can wait a little longer for them to come together and get the win while they're at it. Yeah, well, well, last night was pretty clearly, I think, the best game of Derek Lively's career. And this is a guy who was the number one overall recruit coming out of high school. But, um, you know, Ken Palm is one of my favorite analytics sites. It, it breaks guys down into, you know, major contributors, role players, et cetera. And before last night, they characterized Lively as nearly invisible, um, which I thought was, you know, a little harsh, but, but kind of fair. I mean, he hadn't really done much. Uh, had a, you know, a career high of five points to then. Um, hadn't finished a basket that wasn't a dunk. Had, you know, nine dunks or ten dunks going into the game. Hadn't had a single layup. Hadn't had a single jump shot. And last night we finally got to see a little bit more of his offensive game. You can see the chemistry is building. You know, he he's learning how to roll. You know, he was primarily a pick and pop guy in high school. Uh, with his athleticism, Duke is trying to sort of reprogram him and make him a role man so that they can hit him over the top and lob, so they can throw alley-oops to him because there aren't a lot of seven foot one, 230-pounders who are as bouncy as he is. So you saw some of that last night, and we will continue to, but it, it's going to be a work in progress, just like John said, especially for Dariq Whitehead. I mean, um, he, he broke his foot, was out for three months. I, I had a broken foot once. Uh, you know, I, I certainly didn't have the athletic expectations <laughs> or talent that Dariq does. Um, but it took me a couple of months until I felt fully healthy. So I, I think patience is still sort of the, the name of the game right now. And in the interim, 
you're seeing some other guys step up for Duke, and, and that can pay dividends in the long run. No, and once you were healthy, uh, you were out there doing 360 dunks, and it's all going to be just fine for some of these guys <laughs> that do get injured here. I, I, I Sometimes we want to compare different teams in different eras, right? Like when we look at this Duke team, it's certainly really talented. What Filipowski is doing right now is really impressive. Where does this team compare talent-wise, Brendan, to an R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson team, which was crazy talented, to even last year we had Paolo Boncaro, you had Wendell Moore, kind of the older guy on that team, even Mark Williams. Where where does it rank on the hierarchy of talented Duke basketball teams? Yeah, I, I don't think that it has the same top-end talent. I think this is going to be a team that's more some of its parts. I think this is clearly the deepest team that Duke has had in a while, though. Um, you know, John Shire's basically rolling with a nine-man rotation, and, and that's what Derek White had not playing major minutes. So, um, you know, that's the thing, is, is they may not have this one transcendent superstar. They don't have a Zion. They don't have a Paolo, a guy who you can just give him the ball, get everybody else out of the way and say, go. Um, although Filipowski is, you know, maybe the closest thing they have to that. But what they do have is nine guys who when you can mix and match them and put them together. And depending on the opponent, you can put out the type of lineup that you need. And, and I think specifically you look in their front court, the depth that they have in the front court is, is comparable to last year. Um, when you're talking about three guys and Kyle Filipowski, Derek Lively, and Ryan Young, um, that, that is probably as good a big man rotation as you're going to see in the country. Like, there is different skill sets there. there. There are defensive and offensive threats. Lively, obviously, is a rim protector. Ryan Young, you know, it is wild because he looks like he should be, you know, a lawyer in South End right now. Um, but he he's the fourth best offensive rebounder in the country right now. He, he's grabbing 20% of the available offensive rebounds. He's, he's better than Armando Baycott at that right now. So, um, obviously, he's doing that. Filipowski, what, you know, he's Euro-stepping as a seven-footer. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but that, that, I think, is the difference, is this team may not have, you know, guys one through three who can compete with the Zion team or the Paolo teams. But what they do have is they have the talent one through nine that can compete and maybe even surpass those teams. And um, in the long run, with injuries, with guys coming and going and hitting walls, uh, I think that's going to be really important in the long run. Brendan, when you talk about Filipowski and the numbers that he's putting up right now, he looks to be the alpha of that team when you talk about bringing the fire and this brings some of that leadership on the court. What do you feel like that his ceiling is? Is he going to be a guy that's going to compete for ACC Player of the Year? Will he continue to get better as the season goes along? Yeah, I, I think, you know, at this point, it's hard to say that he's not going to be in the running for ACC Player of the Year. I mean, Ken Palm has him in his top 10 list for, for National Player of the Year, and I don't know that he's quite that proficient, and, and especially as Lively and Whitehead become more involved, I don't know that he's going to see, you know, quite the same usage rate. Um, you know, right now, the percentage of shots he's taking, the per- percentage of the possessions that he's taking are, you know, clearly tops on the team, but but Whitehead, even in limited minutes, is sort of starting to take over some of those. Um but yeah, he's he's only going to continue to get better. And look, we we've seen him get better just over the first nine games of the season. You know, I remember watching Duke in their home opener, and uh, you know, I think it was against Jacksonville. And you know, he's going up for rebounds, and and he's not coming down with them. You know, he was a little bumbly. He was uh, not showing tough hands. Wasn't actually coming down with it. And now, you know, both of his rebounding rates are top one seventy five nationally. So he's really improved in that category, and um, it, it's just going to be continued growth from him. I, I think you know the one area that you would like to see him sort of take a stride in next is he can be a little reckless and, and develop a little bit of tunnel vision going to the basket sometimes. And especially as Duke, you know, like I said, integrates guys like Whitehead, integrates guys like Tyrese Proctor, um, you know, maybe even some other shooters, Jacob Grandison, get them going a little bit. 
when he's driving in there, defenses are going to collapse. He's going to have those kickout options. Him being able to hit those is sort of the next evolution of Duke's offense in my eyes. Follow him on Twitter at Brandon R. uh, Marks. Does an excellent job covering Duke and North Carolina basketball for the athletic. Brandon, thanks for hopping on. And I'm sorry for reminding you of the whole Providence Friar thing. No, it's okay. I'm going to go change my pants now, but I appreciate you guys. <laughs> you, you, me both, buddy. Yeah, we're, we're the same in that area. That's Brendan Marks talking some ACC college hoops.